Cinema Sit-Down, Episode 230, an interview with Rich Brownstein, author of Holocaust Cinema Complete, hosted by Ryan Bull and Richard Lusk, December 17th, 2021. The following podcast has been approved for all audiences by Flying Bull Productions. best part of any film is the sit-down afterwards. Richard Losk and Ryan Bull bring you Cinema Sit-Down. We have a very special guest with us for this episode, and we'd like to welcome to the show Mr. Rich Brownstein, lecturer at Yad Vashem's International School for Holocaust Studies. Uh, Mr. Brownstein was born in Portland, Oregon, and matriculated at Reed College, where he studied psychology. After graduation, he moved to Hollywood and uh, worked there with such luminaries as David Zucker and Trey Parker and Matt Stone, big faves of uh, Ryan over there, before founding the Transcription Company, which grew into a major production organization under his guidance, collaborating with uh, many entertainment networks, including NBC, ABC, NPR, and HBO. Eventually, Mr. Brownstein moved with his family to Israel and became a professor professor of Jewish and Holocaust film, working for the Yad Vashem's International School for Holocaust Studies. During this professorship, he has become one of the foremost authorities in the world on what he describes as narrative Holocaust film. Mr. Brownstein has had a rich and active career pursuing this interest and has most recently published a comprehensive text entitled Holocaust Cinema Complete, a history and analysis of 400 films with a teaching guide. And we are very excited to welcome him to the Cinema Sit Down podcast. As always, <clears throat> I am one of two hosts, Richard Lusk over there is Mr. Ryan Bull. Howdy. And joining us live from Israel is author Rich Brownstein. Welcome to the show and thanks for being with us. Such an honor to be there, to be with you, and uh, and I'm flattered by your introduction. Thank you for joining us. We're really interested to talk to you about your book, um, Holocaust Cinema Complete, uh, History and Analysis of 400 Films. Can you tell us a little bit about why you decided to write the book and what you hope to accomplish with it? Well, uh, I, had, I was lecturing to a group of educators uh, who were at Yad Vashem, and uh, I mentioned for the, uh, as I do in all my classes, that in my opinion, the greatest Holocaust film ever made is The Gray Zone, uh, made by Tim Blake Nelson. And uh, although I had written about many things, I had never written about that. And I, uh, and they said, can you please write about it? And I sat down and I started to write and write, and it became clear to me that I couldn't explain why it's the greatest Holocaust film ever made without explaining the entire history of Holocaust films. And um, then I, uh, there, there were specific topics that I had to deal with. Uh, one was, what films do I recommend other than that? And so I uh, figured out the 50 films that I think are good, good enough to be recommended and wrote reviews of all of those. Uh, and then I wrote a pedagogical guide for teachers about exactly how to teach the Holocaust using film uh, and uh, chapters about how you watch uh, Roman Polanski's The Pianist uh, that was made by a child rapist, how what challenges you have as a Holocaust educator um, when dealing specifically with that, because it's not like watching Chinatown. I mean, there are moral issues here. Um, and uh, so that, that's how I wrote the nine chapters. So you, you started with the greatest, what you call in the book, the greatest narrative film um, of the Holocaust genre, The Gray Zone, which is somewhat of an obscure film uh, for most people. Um, Tim Blake Nelson is not necessarily known for I mean, I think some people are surprised to find out that he's Jewish. I know I was. <laughs> um, why would you say that that is the greatest Holocaust movie 
overall uh, the greatest film and what, what is it that makes that film transcendent over others and as a corollary to that i was wondering if you would agree with his assessment that he states um in in the forward to your text that all attempts to make holocaust films involve failure uh because of the the nature of of holocaust films in general which i thought was provocative or evocative and interesting well tim tim who who i've become friends with since writing the book uh is i think the the most modest person i've ever met um this is this is he told me a story uh that blew my mind that he was uh he he took his son for a visit to auschwitz and went to the guest shop and in the guest shop uh he he pointed out to his son that next to schindler's list they had the gray zone and the person not knowing who he was the person the, the clerk there said that's the greatest Holocaust film ever made. So it's not just me. And he didn't say, and he said, don't write that. Don't put that in your story. And I said, that's, of course, I'm going to, it's such a wonderful story. But he didn't tell the clerk who he was. He just walked out. Anyway, um, so the, there, the components of, of any good film, whether it's Holocaust or not, you have to start with it with a great story. After you have a great story, then you can dress it up with uh, dialogue and, 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 and uh, act casting and, and editing and uh, cinematography and all the other things that make a film great, but you have to start with a great story. Uh, and if you have a bad story, you can't make a good film, no matter how, uh, how, how, wonderful a cast you in this case his story was about the Birkenau revolt which most people don't know even happened where at Auschwitz Birkenau uh, a group of the, a group of of uh, prisoners who were responsible for uh, leading people into the gas chambers and and pulling them out and burning them uh, destroyed half of the gas chamber uh, this is a story that needed to be told uh, and it was true, and it was scrupulously told. Uh, gar he garnered it from biographies. Um, there, there was almost nothing fictionalized in it uh, that mattered. Um, so you start there. Uh, and, and so far, that, that part of the story, there are a lot of great stories that have been made in Holocaust film. He then uh, wrote dialogue that, was like David Mamet. So you're hearing it on several levels and it's being spoken by people who are so authentic. Uh, one of the, Steve Buscemi, David Arquette, um, Harvey Keitel, and many others who you would recognize. Uh, and he didn't, he didn't have the, the Jewish prisoners put on an accent. And that was important. These, these actors were able to say their lines without that twisted kind of what you heard from Liam Neeson in, in, in Schindler's List or David Schwimmer in, in Uprising, where, where you're saying, what is that accent? Why, why am I thinking about your accent instead of hearing your word? Um, and the editing was, was superb. And, um, and of course, the, 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 the ultimate validation for him, Tim Blake Nelson, who, uh, although he's known for being a regular with the Coen brothers, uh, has also acted a lot for Steven Spielberg. He, while he was editing The Gray Zone, uh, he, he was an actor on the set for uh, Steven Spielberg in Minority Report. And he asked Spielberg to take a look at his film, The Gray Zone. And um, Spielberg came back after the weekend and said, I absolutely love this and I want DreamWorks to distribute it. And uh, he took it to DreamWorks and DreamWorks said, we can't distribute this because first we don't do small movies and this is gonna be 700 uh, screens, not 3000. And second, it will always be compared for better or worse to Schindler's List. And uh, this, it's not going to be good for you, for the for his film or for your film. Um, so, um, and, and the reason that one of the reasons it disappeared was it, it was released the weekend of nine eleven. 
it just uh, it just died. But Roger Ebert loved it, wrote about it many times, um, and um, to me, it's it's far and above greater than any other Holocaust film. Um, I remember watching it. I, I probably not in the theaters. I don't know if I saw it when it first came out, but I do remember seeing it a number of years ago and revisiting it for this podcast at your recommendation. One of the things that stuck out for me in the gray zone was also along the lines of no falsity with the accent is the idea that he's taking uh, these individuals who were uh, what would be, I, I think the, the I, I've read it in uh, in the text, they were called uh, uh, capos. Zondo Commando. Zondo Commando. And so these were, the sun, they're called Sando, Zondo Commando, the people who are responsible for manning the crematorium from beginning to end. And not necessarily what anyone would consider to be heroes, but he made them the protagonists of this movie, which allowed them maybe in a sense to redeem in a sort of a metaphysical way, the idea of the Sunder Commandos having to live through that experience and dealing with the guilt of that experience as well. But it, anyway, he took flawed characters all around and he made, he, he turned them into heroes without giving anything away. I mean, it was an uprising that led to the, uh, to the, I guess they, they destroyed one of the crematory. Uh, and for me, at least, it was important to see that in the light of them not being victims, but also being flawed, and then un- trying to understand who they were in those scenarios and what kind of moral choices they would have to make. And it, I, I agree with your assessment that it is, it's, it's just a wonderful movie. It's one that everyone should see uh, if they have any interest in this at all. Tim, Tim Blake Nelson contends that there are no heroes in the film, that they did things that were heroic, but that he purposely didn't turn them into heroes. And so you don't see the Oscar Schindlerization of these people. Uh, they're incredibly flawed. And he didn't, he didn't need perfect characters to show what they were going through. Uh, and the other thing about the film, which, which strikes people immediately, is that there's no soundtrack. You just hear the background uh, of, of, the, of, of the death camp uh, grinding away. Was it, so No Country for Old Men does that too, right? And I mean, there are some other films that don't, I was wondering if he, if he had got, picked that up from the, from the Coen. He may have. He's, he's incredibly, I mean, he's very tight with, with the Coen brothers, but I, 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 I don't, uh, as compared to other Holocaust films, you, I mean, the, obviously you, you, John Williams' violins uh, laying down a bed for you in, in Schindler's List is one of the most memorable things about that film. So as opposed to that are many other films that, that really rely on that soundtrack to coddle. Uh, you don't, you don't have that there either, uh, which is a fascinating choice. Yeah. I, it didn't even occur to me until you mentioned it. I mean, you're just kind of left with the experience. Yeah. The only two uses of, of, of music in it are actually music that's being played there one time over uh, uh, the entrance of the, to the crematorium complex, another time at, at the end when the doctor is under the desk cowering. Uh, uh, but other than that, there is no music. The other thing that we know about this film is that it was so great that it was ripped off. <laughs> and another film used it uh, and didn't credit Tim Blake Nelson for it and, and won the Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film. And that was called The Son of Saul. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, yes. I was going to ask about uh, that. That also brings me to this question. Then, Gray Zone, you're saying is the greatest Holocaust film. Is that the Holocaust film you should start with, or is that something you should build to? Like, should you see Son of Saul first and see then how it pales in comparison when it goes to Gray Zone? Um, a lot of our listeners are high school students that we teach, or even former film students in after hopefully listening to this podcast, they're going to explore this genre a little bit more. Is, is there an order to the films they should see? Well, the first thing I would say is you have to be prepared for graphic violence if you're going to see the gray zone. So uh, high school students, you should make, make sure that somebody has okayed you're watching this. But I would say the same thing is true of Schindler's List and many other Holocaust films. So 
um, before before you go off, be careful. Uh, I I think it's it's useful to to break down how I view Holocaust films in categories before I, to to answer your question. I break them down into four basic categories. If the protagonist is a, a Jew who suffered during the Holocaust, then it's a victim film, like The Pianist or The Gray Zone, a uh, hundred other films. If it's about a Gentile who either hurt or helped um, Jews during the, the Holocaust, then it's a Gentile film. Uh, Two thirds of those are righteous Gentile films um, like Schindler's List or Irina Sendler or The Zookeeper's Wife. Uh, but a, a, a third of them are about Gentiles who, who hurt Jews, who, who were part of the planning. And uh, that would be a film, uh, films like 1945 and Conspiracy. Uh, and then if it's after the Holocaust and it's about a Holocaust survivor, then it's a survivor film, such as Harold and Maude or X-Men. And if it's about a Nazi who was a perpetrator, then it's a perpetrator film. Uh, and he uh, gets chased down and killed. And that would be like Marathon Man or The Boys from Brazil. And then there's a bonus category for uh, films that are clearly Holocaust films, but they can't be put into any of those categories, like uh, Sophie's Choice, where Sophie's not Jewish, but, it's, but, but she, it, there's no doubt it's a Holocaust. She, if she's not Jewish, she can't be a survivor because by definition, Holocaust survivors are Jews uh, and she's not a perpetrator and she's not, a, a righteous Gentile. She didn't save anybody, and um, she's not a victim. A and a cabaret, which takes place before the Holocaust, uh, it's clearly uh, foreshadowing the Holocaust. Uh, Julia and Inglorious Bastards. These are that didn't foreshadow it, but but it wasn't. It doesn't fit in this category. So once once you break down the categories, then then I can have a, a better idea about what to recommend. And also how much time, how many movies you're going to be seeing. If you're only going to see one Holocaust film and you understand what Auschwitz is, then perhaps the gray zone. But if you're going to see several Holocaust films, then you do, you should see, uh, you should start with conspiracy or with cabaret. Uh, cabaret will tell you what life was like leading up to the Holocaust. Conspiracy will tell you uh, it's, it's a, it's an hour and a half movie starring Kenneth Branagh and Stanley Tucci and Colin Firth about the Vance Conference, which was only an hour and a half. It took place in Berlin uh, in, in 1941. And uh, it was where the uh, German uh, establishment, the political, the judicial, the military were brought in by Heydrich and Eichmann and told, this is what we're gonna do. Auschwitz is already built, being built, and uh, you're either on board in this um, final solution or you'll go down with them. Uh, and it was a consolidation of power, but it teaches uh, about how uh, clinical the, the, the entire uh, operation was, how antiseptic they were. Um, there are other great films um, like uh, the counterfeiters and fateless um, that, that about camps um, and that, that are artistically made. So those would be the and the pianist. I, I would start with with all of those films. And if if you know that you have one film left, then watch the Gray Zone. It should be the last one if you're setting out for a series, so that you understand everything that came before. So generally, Mr. Bull and I, we taught in the same high school. And at one time, we were able to teach literature and film together, not uh, cooperatively, but we, each of us had a class. It evolved into a sort of an examination of genres. We would have Westerns. We would have uh, uh, sci-fi, those kinds film of things. Noir. In fact, film noir, we'd start with. Uh, Minority Report was one that we, <laughs> that we would use. And we love to teach Oh Brother Where Art Thou, just getting back to Tim Blake Nelson. But uh, if, if we were putting together a unit of, of, say, three films or four films, and we would end with The Gray Zone, if, of course, given the, the uh, maturity level of our students, uh, you would recommend then just, and you only had four, The Gray Zone being the fourth, 
could you narrow it down to three? Well, I, I mean, obvi- obviously we have constraints. I, in my book, uh, at the end of the chapter of recommended films, the 50, it's actually 52 recommended films. I then have a list of the 15 best and the order that you should teach them in if you are teaching a whole class. The order is Conspiracy, Sophie's Choice, Good Evening, Mr. Wallenberg, The Last Butterfly, The Counterfeiters, Fateless, The Gray Zone, 1945, The People versus Fritz Bauer, Made in Israel, Harold and Maude, The Birch Tree Meadow, This Must Be the Place, Genghis Cohen, and Inglorious Bastard. So those are 15. 15. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. You want me to narrow it down to three? No, no, no. We're not going to try to and narrow it down to And it, is, it a, is it a film class or is it a Holocaust class? Because if it's a film class, then, uh, then my answer is that, then, then, then I might include Hal Ashby's Harold and Maude before I include the counterfeiters. Right. Uh, if, it's, if it's a Holocaust class, then, I'd be, then, then it would be reckless. Uh, to include Harold Leading into that and also going back to uh, your, your book, chapter eight of your book is entitled Holocaust Film Curriculum Planning, The Softest System. And I was just wondering if you could explain what that, what that system in is. Sure. Well, as you know, uh, the softa it sounds a lot like the word for grandmother in Hebrew, softa. Uh, so it, 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 I, I was having a little fun there myself. But uh, the, it's an acronym for uh, the, the, the five things that you need to consider when you're uh, going to be teaching the Holocaust using film. The first one is the students, obviously, and, and that has to do with demographics and homogeneity and their experience with, edu- with Holocaust education and their ability to pick things up. Uh, and I go into a lot, a lot of detail about each of these. The second one is objectives. So the idea is that teaching the Holocaust with film is is too broad. You need to be specific. Are you teaching about Auschwitz? Are you teaching about the T4 program? Are you, te- are you is it about animation? Is it about uh, the geography of, of the Holocaust? Uh, is it about children? So in this, in that part, that subsection of objectives, S-O, the O, uh, I have about 70 different objectives listed and, a, and films that go with each one of those uh, objectives, recommended films for each. Uh, and then follow up, the F. Uh, you can't put students in front of a Holocaust film and not be prepared to follow up. So it, it leads educators through a system to follow up. And then T, time, the time planning, the planning, how long are you going to have before uh, to prepare them, how long are you going to have afterwards? So it goes into all the detail about the things that you need to do for pl- time time planning, and finally administrative. Uh, I stress the need, even if it's not required, to have um, permission slips. You're showing difficult material. Uh, I talk about the need to, to to have mental health professionals available in case, and to know what your students are. Uh, the the AV equipment, how to set it up, and how to and and, and all the things to be careful of uh, when you're uh, when you're getting it ready. So that's that's the softa plan. Would that be the curriculum guide part of the of the subtitle, or do you have another? Yes. No, no, okay. that's the teaching guide. Okay. Part. Okay. Okay. Yes. Just that. Gotcha. I like that you mentioned that. Of the 15 films you would show, the final one is uh, Inglorious Bastards, which has got some comedic elements in it. And so often with genres, when an era of that genre is done, it kind of ends with a, a, a comedy that, that tends to close out the era until you know a later generation of filmmakers find something new to say about that. We've seen that in so many genres, Westerns, horror movies and such. Comedy seems difficult here. And recently, uh, Mel Brooks was interviewed about his autobiography by The New Yorker, and Mel Brooks famously did the film The Producers and had springtime for Hitler as kind of, you know, that's the climax of the film. You know, they think the audience is going to hate it. Instead, the audience laughs. And uh, Mel Brooks said in that article, the way that you bring down Hitler and his ideology is not by getting on a soapbox with him, 
but if you can reduce them to something laughable, you win. I don't know if I disagree with him, but at the same time, if that's true, shouldn't we be seeing more comedy in Holocaust films, which we don't? And Well, first of all, he was paraphrasing Charlie Chaplin, who, who, who said basically that, that, that about Adolf Hitler and the great dictator. Uh, although uh, he said that if he actually knew, uh, so the great dictator came out in 1940, that if he actually knew what Hitler had was going to do, what he was doing, he wouldn't have made that film because it was too lighthearted. But I, your, your, your larger point, I have to tell you that four of the films of those 15 films are comedies. Uh, and there have been many, many good Holocaust comedies, one of which is not Jojo Rabbit, by the way, uh, and not Life is Beautiful and not uh, Jacob the Liar. Could you touch on that for a second? Because two of those films, my students specifically asked me to ask you about. Why aren't those, why don't those work? Life is Beautiful, which won the Academy Award for, uh, for many things uh, and was the highest gross, second highest grossing uh, um, film in America after Crouching Tiger and then was superseded by Parasite, uh, killed the genre of fictional Holocaust concentration camp, death camp uh, films. Since 1997, when that film was made, there's been exactly one major film that was based, that was fictional in a death camp. And that was The Boy in the Striped Pajamas, which is regrettable also, a, a, a horrible film uh, that, glor that glorifies Nazis um, and makes you feel sorry for the poor commandant whose son walked into a, 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 his, his, own, uh, his, his own gas chamber. Uh, Jojo Rabbit uh, is, is like an archer who just fires a million arrows and he's lucky if one of them even hits the stand, let alone, I don't even know what they were going for. With the Beatles 1964 version of I Want to Hold Your Hand in German. Right. What's the point here? Uh, and and there are there are so there there are so many good films that have had uh, caricatures of Adolf Hitler, starting with The Great Dictator. But one of the films that that I recommend, uh, highly recommend, is called uh, Genghis Cohen. It, it, it was the second to the last on that list. Uh, uh, it's a comedy. Uh, there's a there's a, a German who who. Uh, he, he, he's at a, he, he's a common, he, he's a commander in the Eastern front and he's, uh, about to kill a, a Jew who's a stand-up comedian. And the last thing that the Jew says to him before he's killed is kiss my ass. <laughs> and he says it in Yiddish and the Jew is killed. And 10 years later, this German, who's basically a caricature, uh, is the common is the, is the, the the police commissioner in a, in a West German town, and they're immediately making the point that that that, that Nazis were insinuated into West German uh, uh, government bureaucracy. The ghost of the Jew comes back and and haunts him to the extent for the rest of the film to the extent that he ends up killing himself, and it's hilarious. The other the other film which I see on Netflix is on Netflix, which surprises me. Is a German film called Mein Führer, My Führer. And the long title is like the greatest Führer who ever Führered in any Führer way. It's some translation. My German isn't that good, but it's something like that. And the idea here is that they took, a, again, a, a Hitler, uh, a, a caricature Hitler, who has lost his mojo uh, just as Berlin is about to fall and his all of his... Um, uh, the, 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 his lieutenants are, are, need to prop him up and get him ready for a big speech to, to save Berlin. And so they think that the best way for, the, for, the, for Hitler to, to get his fighting spirit back is to bring in a Jewish acting coach from uh, one of the concentration camps. And so uh, this guy just annoyed, that just to annoy Hitler so much that, uh, he he he'll, he'll, he'll back. Give, yeah, he'll get his money. That he'll give a big speech, and 
so watch that film. <laughs> Why for the next person who says Jojo Rabbit this, Jojo Rabbit that, see my Fuhrer and compare them. And and as for Jacob, Jacob the Liar, I, I you know I like Robin Williams, but that was just silly. That was not the film that anyone asked me about. Oh, good. And also see Genghis Khan here in America on Amazon Prime. That was one of the ones to watch. Actually, uh, thank what, you. Did did you watch it? Yeah, I watched uh, watched. Uh, I probably watched ten of these movies, or I watched all the ones that I could get for free, or I might have even paid for one or two of them. Uh, because so did you like Genghis Cohen? Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> I did not. I, it wasn't my favorite, and and it might be because of the anachronistic of the stand-up. Con- I, I like the setup of it. Uh, one of the things it did it did impress me though the the overarching theme that I found in all of these movies and that one included and I'm not saying it was a bad movie I mean it's it's it 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 deals with a subject matter that most people you know associate with uh, Ryan was talking about my problem with it notwithstanding but the whole idea of all of these movies and that that was sort of the overarching theme that I found running through all the ones that I was able to get a uh, a hold of. Genghis Cohen included because uh, the guy that's coming back to attack or, you know, his conscious, whether or not he really is a manifestation of his guilt or if it is the ghost of that character that's coming back to, to, you know, his conscious is, is sort of attacking him. It's a similar thing happening with the gray zone there. These guys are dealing with the guilt of their position as a uh, Sonder commandos. And then the people versus Fritz Bauer, there's, guilt running through all of that even and and then the most impressive movie of all of them i thought was 1945 because that for for whatever reason even though that was a small film that that really moved me and i was just wondering if there's other than that concept if that if that leads if there's any other over narrative theme or theme idea that you could latch onto with with these films well first of all i it's a wonderful observation uh, I, I I've never articulated it that way. I don't. I I I think that that it's a um, trend. Uh, there are some films that aren't about guilt in, in that list. Conspiracy certainly is not. And 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 Good Morning, Mister. Good Evening, Mister. Wallenberg is not about guilt. Uh, but Sophie's Choice certainly is. The Last Butterfly, it certainly is. Uh, Counterfeiters absolutely is. Fateless. Uh, the kids not the the kids. I, I don't think I don't think that one is uh, 40, 1945 for sure is Fritz Bauer is Maiden Israel is uh, Maud is feels guilty Birch Tree Meadow. Uh, the the argument for Fateless is only survivor guilt, I, and and there were parts after, especially towards the end in that movie. Now this is the top grossing Hungarian movie, or the or the most expensive. Is it is it not Hungarian? I don't know. Okay, it is. Uh, it is. Okay, so yeah. it's. But I don't. I, I don't know that, that. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, the gross. I'm not sure, but I know it's a big movie. It's a very. Its scope is very, very wide. And and there were two. There were. Okay, and in, in, in the movie itself, the boy before he gets sent off, they wind up in. I'm not sure. Did they wind up in Auschwitz? I don't know. He goes to. Auschwitz, he goes to a number yeah. of camps, right? Isn't he? He starts okay, at Auschwitz before he leaves. Yeah. He's visited by two people in the village and they have sort of like a, 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 a final, I wouldn't say party, but they have a final commemoration of his father's being sent off to a camp. This is all before the, I think the final solution is ever really clear to anybody. And he goes off to the camp. He's there for a number of years when they're actually um, released from the camp or, or they're, they're, they're liberated. He returns to his village and the same two characters meet him there in his, you know, there, he, he goes to his house and someone has obviously moved into his house. And uh, the, the same two characters who are older Jewish characters meet him and they pull him in and they say, hey, this is what happened. You know, your mom's off somewhere with something. And the movie sort of kind of ends there and trails off. The thing that threw me, because I don't really know the history that well and, and, until I even started looking at all of these films it never would have occurred to me were there people that lived in the villages that were jewish that weren't moved out of their houses that could have been there upon that child's return and then or is that just an allegorical construct that was a long question i'm sorry <laughs> i guess specifically i guess i wanted to know where how many people remained in the actual villages or cities 
that were Jewish. Okay. Okay. So, okay. So, first of all, I'm looking at Wikipedia. It says it was one of the most expensive movies ever produced okay. in Hungary. I don't. Uh, I don't know if he said it also. Yeah, made. I don't know how much it made. Uh, uh, the the um, there's a funny thing. That there's a there's there's a a counter a counterintuitive thing historically that happened during the Holocaust, which is that the countries that were aligned with Germany, uh, the Jews did better overall than the companies than, than the countries that were occupied or conquered by Germany. So the Jews uh, in Spain uh, were saved by Franco, who uh, said, if I, who said to Hitler, if, if I followed your formula for what a Jew is, then you'd be taking me to a gas chamber because everybody in, in Spain had some, had enough Jewish blood. Uh, Italy tried to save its Jews for a long time. Uh, the, the Japanese uh, would not kill the Jews that had, that had fled there and allowed them to live uh, in Japan and in Shanghai, which they occupied. Um, the Bulgarians, uh, famously say that not a single Bulgarian Jew was killed. Uh, and, the hung and the Hungarians tried, just like the Italians tried, uh, until the end. And the last Jews who were really being shipped out uh, were the Hungarians uh, to, the, to the death camps. So to, to, by the time the Hungarians were being shipped out, uh, I, I think that, that certainly people knew what was happening and certainly they were able to, that some were able to hide. I think a half million were finally killed. But yeah, uh, by the time that that was happening, they had figured out what they were going to do if the Germans came for them. And, and some made it, some, some did. You, uh, the, the broader question, that you, the other question that you asked was a, a different theme that runs through these movies. Besides right. guilt, which again, I'm thrilled that you made that observation. I have to tell you a story. When I was young, I uh, read Roger e one of Roger Ebert's books, and in it he had a. No, I was I was in college, and in it he had a supposition that smaller theaters were ruining comedies, and because you you couldn't you didn't have the collective laughter, and uh, and and I I actually stumbled onto a piece of research in a psychology journal I was looking at that confirmed this and I sent it to him and he was really sweet he wrote back and he and he said thank you and he said currently I'm working on a new theory that audience laughter increases in direct proportion to how funny a film is he said I'll get back to you so the the answer to your question of a, of a real theme going through my book is that that they're great films <laughs> and and they're great artwork, and I, and and that that is what I thought I was going for was the greatest artwork of these uh, uh, of of the 450 Holocaust films that, that I was able to uh, chronicle. Um, but you watched them more recently. You can tell me if you thought they were. Oh, artful. most of them were exceptional. Uh did you see? Did you see? This must be the place with Sean. That was the Penn. one I could have. I wasn't able to get a hold of. Is that? Is that one of the other comedies? Because I assume the other comedy must be Mer Harold and Maude, Genghis Cohen, and then I, I. I was trying to figure out what what the uh, other two would be. Inglorious okay. Bastards, right. and and this must be the place. Uh, it, it definitely it's Sean Penn. Uh, and Francis McDormand and Bono's daughter and Harry Dean Stanton. And uh, uh, it, it's, I don't even want to tell you what the film was about. I just, and the, and, and it's based on a, on a David Byrne talking head song and David Byrne is in it and does the music for it and just okay. see it. And, and then write me a note afterwards and let me know. Definitely. Uh, I'll be, I'll be very, and made in Israel had, had certainly had some comedic notes too. So Made in Israel uh, is, a, is, is a perpetrator film. And as they say in the opening of it, it's, it's a time so far in the future that Israel has just concluded its peace treaty with Syria. <laughs> and, uh, and as part of the deal, the Syrians are turning over the, the last living Nazi to the Israelis on the Golan Heights. And 
the, the question in the film is, and it's in the dead of winter, uh, it's snowy Golan Heights. And the question is, is he, is he going to get to Jerusalem? Uh, are the Israelis going to let the last Nazi live uh, to go to trial? And, um, uh, and it was made by Ari Fulman, who uh, ended up after that making uh, Waltz with Bashir, one of the most controversial Israeli films ever animated. And um, the Congress, which is an acid trip, basically biopic about Robin Wright. And, uh, and then he just released a film called Where is Anne Frank, which is a, a repulsive film. Uh, or Where's Anne Frank's Diary? Are these all animated? Uh, the 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 with with Sheer is animated. The Robin Wright film, The Congress, is half animated, and the Anne Frank film is fully animated. And it is not the only animated Anne Frank film. Uh, but in this in this they they he they they made it into a hostage situation where the spirit of Anne Frank's Diary threatens to burn the diary if the uh, if refugee the Syrian if the, if the Middle East if the refugees who are in Amsterdam are not allowed to have asylum that's bizarre <laughs> and I was and I was there at the at the um, at the opening night of it at the Jerusalem Film Festival with the president of Israel and the past president of Israel and Ari Folman and I was apoplectic. I could not believe that anybody had co-opted the Holocaust in such oh. a way, uh, and it and it was understandable because it took eight years to make because nobody wanted to make this. Was it because film. of the ending they didn't want to make it, or because of the, the 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 the? I don't know. I didn't see the earlier. I didn't see the earlier treatments, and I've heard that there was some uh, UNESCO funding, perhaps. Um, I I don't know. I, I think he dug himself a hole and couldn't get out. But I don't, I don't know the whole story. And he has refused an interview with me. And I've oh. asked uh, several <laughs> times. But I, did, I, I don't want to talk about that film. I want to talk about Made in Israel, <laughs> which is a great film. A great, great film. Uh, so, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll let, and, and you weren't able to see the Birch Tree Meadow no, either, I no. assume. I wasn't able to see. That's it. I, I think I saw 10 of them. Or I had seen 10 of them. So the Birch Tree Meadow is... is incredible it's it's a it's a, a film about an old french woman who was an auschwitz survivor a birkenau survivor who goes back and slips through the barbed wire and goes in and it, it's not fancy i mean there's nothing it, it the, the, there's it's not fanciful it's just somebody who's actually dealing with this and no other film does that there are 86 survivor films this is the only one that actually dared to deal in a she meaningful goes back. way long after the events or she sneaks back yeah in. okay yeah she's you know it, it, as as a 60 year old 70 year old woman and you would know you you would know the actress uh you you know a, a man and a woman um the, the, I, I i'm gonna find her name for you uh but ask ask your as you're asking your next question i'm gonna look that up well i guess and, uh, and i won't be film- able to pronounce her name uh, one of the films on your top 15 list is uh, The Counterfeiters, which I was really pleased to see on the list because that was one of the first films I think Lusk and I got into a, a real long argument about. And I like to think that that's kind of the genesis for this show because it's, you know, it's the sit down afterwards after you watch the movie and that discussion. And that was one that we definitely talked a long time about and argued about. And I believe that one best foreign film at the Oscars as well as Son of Saul. Oh yeah, several many many Holocaust films have won. In fact, there's a Holocaust film that's nominated for best foreign language film on average every other year from 1960 through 2015, uh, including the Finzi Contini. So yeah, uh, it did. I mean, there it's a it's one of many. So who won the argument? Well, uh, for the purposes of this discussion, I don't think we ever win. <laughs> for, for the purposes of this discussion. Uh, I lost. <laughs> the The thing that I loved about the film was these few men kind of hold the balance of the war in their hands. If if they do a fantastic job, you know this this could turn the tide of the war and the guilt that they feel in that movie. I mean, I, I'd never heard the story before I sat down and watched the film, and I know we've already touched on guilt in this discussion. Are there any other themes or? Um, 
ideas you would point our listeners to if they go and watch the film the counterfeiters great acting that's a that's a theme uh and the the musical choices in there were excellent uh just a basically a harmonica and a guitar and a guitar the, the story of the counterfeiters was more about sabotage than about the success they they successfully counterfeited uh a massive amount of of mostly british currency they did not fail in that goal and um so but but the 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 real there there's this thing that i see in film in some of these films there's another one called 1940 called uh, uh three days in um oh i gotta look it up uh where it's right at that cusp when the war is ending and when the germans realize that the uniform that they're wearing today is going to get them killed tomorrow and that the star that the jews are wearing uh is the only thing that can keep them alive that the, the germans if they can try to get that and that uh moment in calculus when when there is no black and white but there's that part right in between you see that at the end of the counterfeiters and you see that at the end at the beginning of the truce with john Turturro, where he's primo levy and um three three days in may uh, a, a german film exactly the the the, the idea there is that there, there's a trainload of Jews. It's a true story. It was made on the 50th anniversary of this. A trainload of Jews who, who, there were three cars of Jews that just got stranded in this southern German town. As people are just rutting and uh, drinking because they know what's about to come. They know that the Allies are right there. And what are they going to do with these Jews in this boxcar, in these boxcars that just are detached uh and so you have you have this 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 wonderful you have it in the wallenberg stories too although it didn't go well for wallenberg but uh this this period where the war is just lost the look on the germans faces as they're trying to figure out what's now uh that that's something that i would really um that i really enjoy in film excellent I guess we're coming towards the end of our time. We've mentioned many, many films. Um, if people want more information, I would direct them to your uh, website, www.holocaustfilms.com. Um, that also has links to your book, Holocaust Cinema, Complete a History and Analysis of 400 Films with a teaching guide. Um, it also has links to most major book retailers so they can order from whatever service they see fit well, recommend would be the best way to buy that book though i mean because so that amazon doesn't get their vig can we buy directly from rich brownstein yeah come to israel <laughs> and i will hand you, you an autographed copy is there a way uh, for our audience <clears throat> there's a link there's a link to my publisher uh who, I, that's the top of the links in the buy my buy the book uh, and, um, the, the book has been sold out in many places. It's hard to find. It's hard to actually get, um, we will have links link. in our show notes for our audience. And we encourage everyone to go attempt there's to buy a, it. There's a coupon that, that's good, uh, for another five hours. <laughs> well, this, uh, that coupon will probably, I don't think Mr. Bull is going to get on to this. I don't know. They said that they. They, they, they put it up for Jewish Book Month for, for all the Jewish books, the publisher, McFarland. And then when that was over, they, it was supposed to only last till November 15th. And then they said, I had such stellar sales that they were oh, going to really? leave it up That's longer great. till December 15th. And I left it up. So try it. That's okay. the, the worst thing you do is try it. But uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to, um, it, there's, a, there's a way to contact me at holocaustfilms.com. You can. You can uh, write me a note, and, and I love to hear your opinions about films. And also, there's this misconception in the world that people who can write books also know how to market their books uh, and can get out of the public. And I don't know anything about it. I'm uh, so if, if anybody who has suggestions about, I can't. I, I'm having a really hard time breaking into the mainstream media. You guys are awesome. Well, no, we we've loved having you on the show. We've learned a ton. We, we've barely scratched the surface. I mean, I'd love to have gone into detail about like Harold and Maude. 
there's a film and I'm not even going to name it because we don't have time to get into it. Uh, oh, name the most infamous of all know. Holocaust films. Uh, it's oh, never does come it start out. with Schindler and <laughs> end with List? No, 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 no. Uh, it starts with The and ends with Cried. And it hasn't come out yet. The and ends with ends oh, with Cried. cried. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so, it'll be out next year. Yeah. Hopefully. But, or, I, I guess, I mean, I have trepidation. I, I want to see the film, but it's it's also I had lunch look with across Harry the road Shirt. to look at the car wreck. You, you Harry can't Shirt not told me that, he, that oh, really? he saw it and it was horrible. Oh, well, yeah. Jerry Lewis said the same okay, thing. Well, uh, yeah, so, but have me back and I'll be happy to do this. I'll do this every week with awesome. you. I, I'm happy to do You guys are awesome. We would you love are, to have you back on the show. You're a very generous host and very kind. And just, if you have me back, just remind me if I repeat it. We'll have you back to talk about the movies that I wasn't able to see, that you recommended on this. There's so many more questions. Thanks for having me. Thrilled to do it anytime. I really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Thank you. You're very generous. Thank you. What did you think of today's show? Did the guys get it right? Or are you wondering what movie they watched? Send in your review by tweeting at CSD Podcast, emailing cinemasitdown at gmail.com, or messaging us on facebook.com backslash cinemasitdown. Cinema Sit Down is a Flying Bull production.